federal public service in terms of the majority English speakers being denied their rightful place in supervisory positions in this country. And that's a lot of the big reason why we're in the mess we're in. I love it. By the way, I'm recording now. This is the pre-show, so just um, uh, keep that in mind, if you don't mind. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I really appreciate your passion. Thank you. Now, now you're... I, I, you know, it's it's been a tough go when you consider... I was born in Germany, and so my, my look on life has been through the lens of a six-year-old boy who came to this country and was told that he was responsible for killing all the Jews in the Holocaust. A boy who was born after the war was over, and a boy who saw, at the age of 10, rock come flying through his window saying, Nazis go home, in a country that was supposed to be this beacon where everyone was welcome as long as you were willing to work hard, learn the language, and obey the laws of the land. And I soon realized that uh, there's so much smokescreen in this country in terms of, well, immigration for sure. They wanted us to come in and build something, but keep your mouth shut. That was one of the biggest things. Um, I was not allowed to joke about anything because not only was I told to be uh, guilty um, for what happened in the Second World War, I'm also a newcomer, so just shut up. So it was, it was kind of weird, a weird transition. At the same time, you're trying to be a kid that, that wants to be part of what's going on. And so, you know, I got involved in sports when I was a kid. I was a 12-year-old pitcher in Little League. I actually pitched a two-hitter one time and got in the newspaper. I had a headline in there. <laughs> hey, nice. Back in the early 60s, I pitched a two-hitter <laughs> when I was 12 years old. But I had a dad who worked three jobs. I never had a mom or dad that ever came to a sporting event. I was a basketball player in high school as well for, for five years. Was always on the basketball team, junior and senior and all that. My parents never came to anything. My mother never had time. She raised the three kids. My dad had such guilt from the war. He was guilted so badly that, well, he died very young. He died at 62. Um, wow. And that's a whole other topic because that gets me into the healthcare system in this country that let my father down and has let down many of my friends in terms of how they passed away. It's actually very disgusting when you see that. Oh, yeah. I hear that. Physicians are paid on the government dole and so they have to have side jobs and some of them their side jobs are more important than their doctoring <laughs> it's, hey, it's quite sad hey uh, Jurgen, yep. before you go on um i'm gonna call you what do you want me to call you because uh i i tend to gravitate toward what i see on the screen because of my uh the, the way my brain works um should i what should i call you just with john otherwise our audience will get confused okay you're well you could my okay. middle name is Oswald. You could call me Ozzy. A lot of people are calling me that. My grandson's name is Ozzy, so call me Ozzy. <laughs> okay, can I call you Wolfgang? Because it's on your screen. Call me Wolfgang. Wolfgang's Tavern. Wolfgang was my dad's name. Okay, uh -huh. so you're both Jurgens, though, uh, yeah. officially. Yeah. I, is yeah, that is that spelled the same way between the two of you? I would imagine so. I don't see why I it would be so. different. Okay, Wolfgang, do you know do you know who John is uh, on the screen here? Do you know who he is? 
I don't see John. I don't know who he is. Okay, no. well, no, he's not showing his video, but you can see in the studio there's another person here. You can see me at the top. You can see my screen that I'm sharing. Uh, no, you... I don't see any of that. Okay. Um, okay. But I don't you... see that either. I only see myself. Okay. Um, okay. You, do you see the screen I'm sharing, though? It says the Fakeologist show. Yeah, that's uh, what fake, I see. Fake 829 the German Canadian experience or whatever on top. You got it. Okay. You see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But you don't see anyone else in the studio. You just see yourself. I just see, oh, I, there's a join button. I guess I got to hit that, right? No, no, no. You don't have to hit anything. I'm just curious what you see because I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm never a guest on my own show. I see me. That's all I see. Okay. Well, in the, in the, okay. So you don't even know there's another guest here. No, I don't. Okay. The other guest is named John. Uh, that's yep. his pseudonym, but his real name is Jurgen. Is it right. Jurgen or Jurgen? So, um, should I let John introduce himself now? Maybe I'll start the show because the show, it's almost time to start the show. Let me start the show yeah. and then we'll do the introductions. Uh, this show is going to be about the German Canadian experience. That's what I wrote. And okay. I, th I think Wolfgang, you'll be very interested, maybe, hopefully, in who your, your other guest is. Because I think John, John knows you because he's watched your channel, but I don't know if you've looked at John's channel. So. Okay, so uh, in any case, just for your information there, Tim, Yeah. what I see on the screen is your, mm -hmm. where it says a live restream, tune into Fakeologist show. Yeah. Okay. okay. I don't so, see that. Just so you know what I'm looking at. Well, there's a private chat in here. I'm going to type something in there, and uh, you should see that. Do you see that little thing? If you click on the word private chat, it'll pop it up. Yep, I see it. So you can we can type messages privately to each other. No one can see that except us three. Okay. One of these days, I'll have to be a guest on my own show to see what you guys see, <laughs> so I can describe it properly. <laughs> so let me start the. Um, I did the text, so now I'm going to start the show, and I'll start with a little uh, little theme music. You guys might know. Everybody, it is Thursday, January the 25th, 2024. This is uh, the Fakeologist Show. I do this show sometimes Sunday through Thursday around 8 o'clock. Today is a different night. Yeah, we gave Frank the Salt Guy uh, another week off because I'm just continuing my series on the German-Canadian experience, which has all been inspired by just some of the latest research I've been looking into, into World War II. And uh, it's funny, my daughter just wrote a piece on my gra my grandfather, who was uh, in the American Navy, and she did the experience where he was uh, sunk by the Japanese battleship in what he was on called the Koffler's Coffin, or a the USS Gambier Bay. In the Battle of Lady Gulf, which was a real thing, and he really did experience it. So uh, that's got me on my research, and then I got into, of course, World War II and Germany. And I've always really wanted to talk to Germans about 
the whole experience. And I have talked to my guest, Wolfgang, before, and he's from Alberta. So I'll just welcome Wolfgang to the show first. Hello, Wolfgang. Hello. How is everybody? Hope everybody's hanging in there just like we are. <laughs> We're hanging in. And Wolfgang has his own bit shoot channel where he does his rants and his raves. And uh, we'll, I will put a note, a show note, a link to that site in the show notes tonight. And my other guest is a returning guest. This is the fourth appearance he's had on the show in the last couple of weeks. So he he's very familiar to the audience. And that is John, who's from Ontario, where I live. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. And John has his own YouTube channel con- called John Robinson 101. I will put a link to that. And uh, I'm now I brought these two gentlemen on because they're both German Canadians. Both of them were born in Germany and they've never met before. So I just thought this would be a really interesting broadcast where instead of only having one German to talk to, I can have two at a time and see if there's any patterns or synergies that these two gentlemen would like to express by relating each other's experiences. So we're going to. We're just trying something a little different tonight because I know everyone knows the theme of my show is fakery, media fakery, our fake present, our fake history. But this is sort of a way to wrap up what I've experienced just researching World War II and just the lies that we've been told. And here's two German nationals that came to Canada. And I bet you they have a whole pile of lies they'd like to relate to to a whole new generation in 2024. So I thought we'd use these two valuable treasures who are, I think our seniors are our valuable treasures and we need to get all the information we can out of them before they pass on. So I know that Wolfgang doesn't know John. So John, why don't you tell Wolfgang who you are, whatever you want to say, and maybe Wolfgang will be surprised like I was when I met you in person last couple of weeks ago. Yeah, well, I was uh, born in Germany myself. Uh, it was around Bielefeld in Rheinland-Westfalen. And my parents immigrated over here in Canada when I was 14 months old. So basically, I grew up here. But that didn't stop me from having issues as a German because, of course, five years at home, I developed a German accent because all I listened to was my parents, etc. And when I went to school, I had grief. And eventually, the grief led to me getting rid of my German accent and changing my first name, things like that. To What year did you come over? 1951. 51. And, uh, yeah, so my father, he also had some grief, uh, of course, as being a German who didn't know any very much English when he when he came here initially. Where were you? Pardon me? Where did you end up in Canada? What, what city? Oh, we ended... Well, my father came over first to set up, yeah. you know, to bring the yeah. family over, right? So he came That's over and he was, he was initially said that he should... He needed to go to Montreal. Right. So he, he went to Montreal. But after being there for a couple of weeks or three weeks... He realized there was no jobs there for him. So he looked around. He said, oh, an industrial town, Hamilton. That should, uh, be, I should be able to get a job there. I'm a, I'm a tool and die maker. And so therefore, he uh, hopped on a train, went to uh, 
went to Hamilton. And he had a few odd little jobs here and there. And, of course, back in those days, uh, you weren't getting any government support, really. So there was a day or two where he actually had to uh, survive on an apple or two because they didn't have enough money to, to buy food. Did he get sponsored to come here? Uh, no, he didn't. No, eh? Okay. No. And so, uh, anyway, he was... Uh, one of his interesting stories that he told me was he was wandering around looking for a job. And he, he walked by this one place and there was a lot of noise going on. It was a machine shop of sorts. And so he was listening and he heard somebody speaking Russian. Now, he understood Russian. So because he had been on the Russian front for three years, so he had learned some Russian. So he walked in there and he said, yes, what do you want? And he said, well, I'm looking for a job. And he met him and said, uh, yeah, you're not Russian, are you? And he said, no, I'm not Russian. He said, what are you? He said, well, I'm German. He said, oh, really? He said, you don't look like you've eaten lately. <laughs> My dad just smiled a little bit, and the guy said, sit down. So the guy gave him, he was the manager of the, of the shop. He gave him his lunch. And then after he finished and they talked a bit, he said, well, I'm sorry, I don't have a, any work. You know, to have you, but here's a few dollars. And he pulled out the rest of his money out of his pocket and gave it to my father and said, maybe that'll tie you over until you get something. And it turns out he was uh, an anti-communist Russian that had uh, had worked with the uh, the Germans during the war. Wow. So that was pretty good. Eventually, he got himself a job. I think it was National Steel Car, I guess it was. And, of course, back in the old country, if it said national on it, that was more or less tied to the government. And you could pretty well guarantee if you got a job there, you had a steady job. Of course, that was not the case here. Right? So, anyway, he gets his job there, and he got harassed by this Polish guy because he was German. And he got harassed and harassed. <laughs> and one day, my father just had enough. And he turned on the guy, picked up a wrench, and he turned on the guy. He chased him halfway across the mill. <laughs> before he just let him go. You know? But that's the kind of things that we had to put up with. Myself in school, they also call me Nazi. They bug me, and they'd even beat up on me. You know, When the school was over and stuff, and I'm on my way home, a couple of guys would come up and beat up on me, things like that, etc. So that was not, uh, of course, what we had intended to either. I, Actually, it was such what, such a state that my father, well, my parents, they thought to themselves that, you know, we don't really like it here. We should go back home. And they checked their finances and realized they couldn't afford to go back home. Wow. So, therefore, they stayed here. And I have, uh, all my siblings were older than myself. I had five older sisters. And eventually, a number of them got married and had children. And by the time my parents had enough money to go back. Well, they already had grandchildren here and they were settled, so they stayed. But it was uh, not very pleasant for, for a very long time. Very good. And do you want to tell uh, Wolfgang how and why we met up and what the purpose of my our meeting was? Because I think it's important that he knows a little okay little bit because you you are not just the, the an average guy that I bumped into. No, oh, I thought I was average. 
No. Uh, well, not for what I was looking into, and I'm, I don't know. I don't know Wolfgang's uh, interest or experience in this, but I think it's kind of relevant because what you guys went through is something that the guy you worked for was really anxious to try and rehabilitate. Yes. So. Well, I was. Uh, oh, before I go into to that, I would like to say one more thing. That uh, I was so brought up in the anti-German vein that I was, and I didn't even realize that I was anti-German, you know, because the propaganda was was so good that yeah, some of the stuff made me feel guilty, but other stuff was just in there, and you didn't really notice it. And the first time, when I think back on it, I was getting a little older, late teens, and my mother said, oh, we should look for a good German girl for you. And I said, no way. No, no way I want a German girl. So that was, you know, a lot of people have that even today. You know, A lot of Germans have that problem today, and a lot of them don't even realize why they have that problem. But so I'm, what I'm getting at is that the anti-Germanist was all, all pervasive, and it still is actually, <laughs> to, to today. Oh, yeah. And therefore, I decided that uh, eventually, I decided maybe I should do something about it. And uh, now I'll go back to meeting Tim. Tim, we uh, remember you, uh, like I made a, an internet channel on BitChute, and Tim Z ended up on my channel watching something. Correct me if I'm... Yeah, that's right. That's things. pretty much right. I, I found your BitChute channel because I was looking into... And, and you asked a question about something. I forget what it was. And I answered you. Oh, I want, I want to do with videos. Yeah, I want to know if I could get the whole video collection because you were putting up uh, all kinds of videos by a certain very famous German in Canada that I was looking into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and therefore, so what we did was, uh, I asked you where you, or you asked me first where I lived. And yeah. I wasn't too sure about answering, so I asked you, and when you said you lived in Toronto, I said, oh, well, that's cool, we live down the road, why don't we get together? Yeah. And uh, see what we think of each other, see if we think each other are honest and legit and so on, and then we can uh, take it from there. And we did. We met uh, at a coffee shop, and... Basically, I thought we hit it off very well. Yeah, I think so. You're a very personal, personable person. So, who who are who were you and who are you? So, just tell Wolfgang because I, I I don't want to put him to sleep if this story is uh, getting too long because he has to. We want, I want to give equal time for both you guys to talk. So the punchline okay. is: you are the or were the punchline is. I uh, eventually, I got to meet a man, you may say famous or infamous, in Canada by the name of Ernst Sundle. And um, myself and my father hit it off with him, and we went and volunteered to help him with his projects and so on. And, and eventually, through various... Uh, Events that went on, I became uh, 
his videography, a videographer in 1981. And I worked with him for 25 plus years. So I got to know him very well and everything he was up to. And wow. uh, it was uh, one of the best and most educational parts of my life, of course. I bet it was. Yeah, it was amazing. And you are pretty much the main uh, historian slash uh, archivist for everything Zundel because the, real, the Zundel site's long since been dormant. So pretty much you are the one that is the main archivist. And I just said to you, why don't we get a copy of the archives so we can just distribute it in a, an efficient manner in case all these things get whisked down the memory hole and or get, uh, get lost. So if we make multiple copies and make it easy, I thought this might be a smart way to disseminate the info. Because once you start watching these videos, and Ernest was a very smart man. Because he always he had you record, and before you, he was recording audios of all his work. So instead of getting the media's filtered version of what he was saying, you can watch him do these full interviews and really learn a lot of information. So that's why I thought I'd bring Wolfgang, because Wolfgang was is the, one of the most outspoken German Canadians that I've seen so far on BitChute. So I thought, I don't know if you guys have ever met, and I don't really even know what Wolfgang's whole um, view on Ernst Zundel is, so I thought it might be interesting if we, we had a chat on that. So, Wolfgang, what do you think? Is that a surprise to you? Absolutely not. No, I uh, okay. I followed I followed along with my dad. I also followed uh, Ernst Zundel. I didn't get into it like uh, your other guest has, like Jürgen has. Um, and I didn't get to meet him, and I'm sure that uh, it must have been a, a, a very interesting time. We have a lot in common, and uh, you know we might get arrested for saying what we say. But there's so many lies have been thrown out there; it's it's unbelievable. I, you know, like I said, I came to Canada in 1955. I was six years old, and uh, in 1950, it was either 57 or 58. I can't remember. I think I was nine or ten years old. I, you know, at this point, I'm 74. I can't quite remember which year it was, but. Um, we were watching my dad. We got a we got a television. We finally got a place um, instead of living above a garage. That's another whole other story. I want to get to this Sundle thing. Um, we were watching a video or, or a um, a news report on television, and the news report was um, about you. You remember seeing some of the videos where all these bodies are piled onto carts and they bring them. It could be in these massive graves, right? And it's being portrayed as the bodies from the ovens being taken to these massive graves. Now, during the war, my dad had the occasion of being with his troops, his battalion, his whatever it was. Uh, he was like 18 or something, 19 years old. I think it was 44, 1944, 43, 44, where um, they were ordered to go to a village that had been totally bombed out by the Allies. Everybody was dead. The whole town was wiped out. So they had to go and they had to pile bodies onto these things. And when he was watching television that night and I was there on the floor watching television with my mom and dad. I looked back and I saw my father's face turn white. 
he turned white as a ghost. And this was one of the few times that I actually was together with my mom and dad. I remember it so clearly because he was always working. But this was one time he wanted to see this special documentary that was coming out about the Holocaust. Now, why his face turned white is because the cemetery that was being portrayed where all these bodies were brought to was the same cemetery that he was at bringing German people into mass graves because the whole town had been blown up. But on television, they were saying, these are people from the Holocaust. And the reason why he remembered it so well is because the cemetery had specific iron gates that were very distinctive, that you'd never forget, that were forged so intrinsically, and they managed to stay intact with the bombing. So now you have someone who's just come to this country and bingo, there's a lie on the Black Mirror, 1957. Wow, that was powerful. I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, but, well, no, I'm not sorry. You know what? I've been trying to say these things my entire life. Mm. People brushed me off. You, you you can't talk about it. True. Because yep. you're told to just shut right up. You know, when I was 14 years old, I wanted to try to make a mark in this country. I became a stand-up comedian. I wanted to make people laugh because I'd been beat the crap out of because I was a German kid mm. in South End, Ottawa. That's where we were. Mm. Couldn't speak the language, brought my lederhosen to school. And I got beat up because I was wearing my lederhosen. I couldn't understand why people couldn't understand German. How come nobody can speak to me? Mm. Nobody told me how to do it. There was no nobody there to help us. There was no immigration department that was hovering over us, giving us money. Right? You had to right. go out and earn it. That's what we were told. We were told three things. Work hard. Learn English. And obey the laws of the land. And you know what? Right now, my crusade right now in Alberta after working with Dr. Ritchie at the Human Rights Institute of Canada, is to convince Albertans to declare English the official language of this province and make the head spin in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Stand up for our rights, stand up for our language, stand up for our communication, because if we don't, you've got a clown PM telling everybody who comes to this country they don't have to learn either language, and before you know it, when I was growing up, English was the international language of business, number one by a long shot. And now it's number three. Don't tell me we don't need protection. Because Quebec made sure they got protected, didn't they? They used a notwithstanding clause and said, you know what? We're going to reject this whole bilingualism thing because we know it's just a ploy. Mm. So when you talk about a ploy... Let's look at the divisions that have been created. The Germans are to be hated and the Japanese are to be hated. They had made a global division with the two world wars that they called them. Although the planet has been full of wars ever since the, uh, mankind stepped foot on it. But those two world wars have created the biggest division in the history of the planet. You've got countries that were allies and you've got countries that were on the other side. And those two sides, they created that because now you've got a division in the world that is global. It's a global division. 
you can create a whole hatred for a for a people. And when you're one of those people that lost the war and you read the history books and your parents tell you one thing and the history books tell you something else and you stand up for your parents' truth that they live through, my mother during thunderstorms in Canada would rush and hide in a closet because she thought the freaking bombs were falling again. Wow. So, you know, you hear all these people crying, well, I got PTSD because I, I don't have a safe space in my college class. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a freaking break. Right on. Wow. That was powerful, your story there, John. What do you, what do you think of that? Yes, I think that's, uh, I think there's probably a lot of stories or at least many more stories like that, which just have never get to, to be heard by anyone. Luckily, we have Wolfgang here who can be on the internet and tell people that these things exist. You can't, I guess the thing that uh, Ernst wanted to bring out, what he wanted, one of his uh, goals mm-hmm. was to get people to look you know, Germans as humans again. Give us back our humanity. That's what, That's yeah. all. Because yeah. once you do that, then all other things make sense. Yeah. That's all. 100%. But do they want to do that? No, they don't want to do that. They want to have us as the eternal villains and them as the eternal heroes, <laughs> even though it's quite obvious with what's going on in the world. That's not the way it is. Because let's face it, look at the way the world is. And ever since World War II, who's been in charge, right? The victors of World War II. So who's to blame for the conditions the way they are? You can't blame it on the Nazis. You can't blame it on on the Axis. But you have to take responsibility that you people are the ones who are making it this way. You know? So get off your high horse. You know, give everybody equality again. Give us back our humanity and everybody can work together on a proper scale and get things done. But that's never going to happen because certain people get too much benefit out of having things the way they are now. And those people are in authority in most places in the West, right? So therefore, I think what I was trying to do, what I was and am trying to do with my channel is to try to balance the issue, right? Try to help give back these this humanity for which we've been struggling all this time. A lot of people they'll look back in history and they'll say, "Oh yeah, well, such and such a philosopher said this, and such and such a per you know they quote Churchill, they quote all kinds of people, they get information intelligence. Well, for instance, the same thing if you look at watch his videos and read his material and listen to his audio stream, you will find that there is a lot of good things there that if taken to heart could help bring about a better society by everybody actually being treated as equals, right? Not as villains and not as criminals, but as equals, you know? been a plan to diminish humanity for a long time when you think about it uh, the conversion to transhumanism the lies the secret societies that that uh, have us under their thumb the people that control us all of that has been going on for such a long time and they've used uh, civilizations 
to prove their control through satanic rituals. And I believe we're coming to a head of all of that. I think we're going to see um, 2024 as the year of massive revelations. And I think the kind of revelations that are coming are going to be so... Um, I mean, you, you cannot comprehend because you don't have a mind that works their way in such evil ways. You cannot comprehend what they have done. There's no way that your mind, because you're a sane uh, a person who believes in the love of humanity and not the notion that we can live forever through transhumanism and I have enough billions that I can accomplish that. Um, there's a whole spectrum of society above us that never looked, that only looked down on us in terms of being the supply chain of uh, many things, not only our organs now, which in Canada through MAID is probably mm -hmm. the most disgusting thing in our death culture that is reaching an apex. I mean, you, you can't even, uh, I'm straying off topic. I'll, I'm yeah. going all over the place because there's so much to absorb and what's going on has been going on for such a long time. And if we don't open our eyes to the fact that it's been going on for so long, that they've been lying to us about everything. That's, Nothing is as it seems. That's true. Nothing. Why don't they teach, you, you know, I just became at the age of 72 and I have tremors. I mean, I shake a lot and I'm right-handed. I had to learn how to do paintings with my left hand. And I learned and I've been studying three, four, five hours a day because I used to be a performing artist. I used to be a stand-up comedian. I was a lead singer in a rock and roll band. I didn't even tell you that part of my life. I went back <laughs> to Germany when I was 19 years old to visit my grandmother in my little village outside of Lahr. And Lahr just happened to be a Canadian base. So there was Canadian troops there, and they were looking for a lead singer in a band. I was 19 years old, and I said, hey, I'm a rock and roll singer. And I got the job as lead singer. Long story short, I not only worked at the Caserne in Lar at the warehouse there, translating goods instead of, as a day job, but I got to be a rock and roll singer in my night job. And we got to be so good that at some point, an EMI recording guy came from London and wanted to take us to go record in London in 1969. We're talking the 60s. And I'm 19 years old and I'm saying, well, wow, we're going to make it. The next Beatle. And guess what happened? <laughs> we we rehearsed in a hall. We had There was this Gasthaus. It's like a rehearsal hall during the week and you're at weekends they had parties and dance things. And there's a big place, big space, had a nice stage. And they would let us use that place during the week when it wasn't busy to rehearse our songs. It turns out that the owner there, and I never met him. I, I was just a singer. I came into this band late. The owner of the place apparently was smuggling cocaine from Spain into Germany. I didn't know, didn't have a clue, but the assumption by not only the Canadian police on the military base, wow. but the German police and Interpol thought because we're the band working, uh, uh, practicing there, that we're distributing the cocaine for this clown who owned the place that we practiced at. So all the heat came down when he was busted. And guess what? The four other guys in the band, they were all sons of military personnel, generals and colonels, sergeant major, and a warrant officer, the four of them, okay? The four of them got shipped out. The band broke up, no recording contract in London with EMI. I thought my life was ruined because 
All of it came down on me. I was the only citizen there that wasn't military personnel. The uh, the military people, the sons, the fathers, they all got transferred. It made the headlines in Der Spiegel magazine back in 1969 that this cocaine ring was operating with a band that was distributing the goodies. So the German police and the Canadian military police escorted me to a train because I didn't have money to get on a plane to get back to Canada. They put me on a train and they sent me out of the country. I got deported from the place I was born because of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. More lies. Wow. What makes you more bitter, that story or being a... The uh, most bitter thing, let me tell you, the most bitter uh, thing was 1981 when my wife broke her back in a car accident uh and the Canadian government gave her six units of tainted uh, 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 blood. Hepatitis C, tainted blood. That was the worst thing. The second worst thing was when 19 people robbed my store and I lost a 30-year family business in the city of Ottawa in 1992. That was the second worst. Wow. The third worst worst is my sons having to move from Eastern Canada because their French language skills weren't good enough to advance anywhere in any industry because they all bought into the notion that you need to be a French speaker first in the Eastern part of Canada. So they all had to move out West and now I'm a Westerner. And I'm sticking with Alberta. And I'm proud to say that I got to speak with Danielle Smith before she was elected. And I have convinced this province that pretty soon we're going to be declaring English our official language. And I'm very proud that I've been working my butt off since I got here to make that happen. Wow. I was going to say, was it your German experience when you were younger? But you've had uh, many, many uh, very negative experiences that I think even top that off. My life is filled, filled. Wow. I mean, I was a businessman in Ottawa. Not only did I have contracts with the federal government, I was also in 20 movies. My 50 acres have had uh, motion pictures filmed on it. So I've been in 20 movies myself. I've had some big roles. I've had some small roles. Wow. I've met some Hollywood people because I wanted to get into that business just to see what the people are like. And I found out, let me tell you. Oh, boy, did I find out. And that's in a whole other story. <laughs> wow. You should have your I'm own podcast and just tell you. stories. Yeah, yeah. you got a million stories. Well, can, what's your... Wolfgate, what's your take on Zundel? Because I'm researching Zundel. I'm looking through his old videos. John is the videographer and the historian here. What's your take on... Can you relate anything to what you know about Zundel? What have you studied? What did you think of him? Because obviously you... You were here the whole time he was here, so... I thought he was just like the rest of us Germans who were told to keep your mouth shut. You can't say anything bad about the Jewish people whatsoever. They're all angels. All Germans are bad and all the Jewish people are good. That's it. That's all. It's, it's that simple. But what it's that you- simple. You can't make a joke about Jewish people if you're not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and here's the other thing. This, this is what really gets me. And the perfect example is on a show called the View. Whoopi Goldberg. She's not a Jew. She took a Jewish last name. Why? To take advantage of the fact that they got whatever? Why? Because they're name stealers. Have you heard about the name stealers? These are people that had villages on the trade routes when the trade routes first opened up between China and Eastern Europe. Okay. They would have caravans of these merchants 
with their goods that have made deals with the Europeans. They would bring their goods along the trail from China, and, and you can look it up. Yeah. And these whole villages would take part in making sure that they got these caravans drunk. They made them happy. They said they were friendly. They ended up killing them all, taking their goods, taking their identities, and wow. moving into Europe and making deals with the people. Are these the Khazars? Yes. Oh, wow. I never heard that story. That's amazing. They were the name stealers. They were the name stealers. And let me tell you something. There used to be gypsies, and my parents would tell me the stories about the gypsies that would come into their village. Every few years, there'd be a different caravan of these gypsies that would come into town, and they'd set up maybe a couple of miles outside of town. They'd set up a camp on a field that didn't belong to anybody. It was just, you know, their right to camp wherever they wanted to. And they would come into the village, and they would have, you know, like... A, I mean, I, I I don't know what I can say on this show, but there there's some really nasty stuff that happened with those people. You can say and, whatever you want. This is uh this is the fakeologist show. This is my <laughs> network. So whatever you want to say, I'm I'm whatever you want to say. Tell us the truth. That's all. Well, you know, there. I've never heard this story. Things. This this actually makes a lot of sense. They're called the name stealers. I never heard that and, once. Uh, Have you heard that, John? No, that's new to me. Yeah, I've heard is, the yeah. Khazars, but not this name stealing thing. I, yeah, that's no, no, no. They would, they would have. There'd be more than one village along the trade route that did that. Once, once certain people caught on that this was something that you could do and get away with it, and nobody knew back in those days. There was no communication. No. Nobody knew. You just a caravan would come along in the village. A guy would say, "Hey, this is a way to make some money, or this is a way to, you know," and that's what they did. Wow. And so now you've got a whole. I don't know. Just look at the planet. You, you've got people here that just don't want us alive anymore. That's it's as simple as that. Oh, they don't yeah. want us. Here. They don't need us anymore. No, they I got know. the robots in place already. That's why there's the big push now. Oh yeah, I agree. Right. Oh, definitely. So they, need any of us. So you, that's why the division keeps up. They keep up with the division and they yeah. keep dividing us every freaking day. And people fall into that trap every freaking day. Let's hate the Japanese. Let's hate the Germans. Let's hate the Arabs. Let's hate the, whatever. Yeah. So you, you were saying Whoopi Goldberg. So she took the name. So you could identify her as a name stealer. So that's 100%. So that's a cultural thing. That's a. That's just something that the 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 cult or whatever she because obviously it's based on greed, satanic rituals, based on uh, promises of wealth, all those things. And they're just they're just thieves. Yeah. yeah wow. if, you, if we could go back to your comment on uh, they don't need us anymore. I watched one of your uh, videos there about the barbarians breaching the gate, and you were talking about the conditions in Germany. The, yeah since the borders have been dropped in Europe and how things are. Could you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, I um, <laughs> I can't even find my cousin right now. I, I'm dying to talk to him, but I, I, I can't even find him anymore. So I don't know what the hell's going on over there. I, I, it makes me very sad. I'm not even sure which one of my relatives are still alive over there. Whereabouts but, um, are we talking about? Where, where is this? It's southern Germany where I'm from. Okay, so southern Germany, something's going yeah, on. Yeah, in the Black Forest. I was kind of born near the... I was born right across the Rhine River from France, right across from... Um, so are you near where uh, uh, Ernst is from then? Are you familiar with all Ernst's uh, early childhood stories? Because they're pretty fascinating. It sounds like it's the same region. It could be. I'm not sure where he's from. Where was he from, uh, Jürgen? Uh, I'd say he's... 
Uh, just uh, south east, no, southwest of Stuttgart in uh, okay. Baden-Württemberg, Schwabenland. Okay, yeah. I, I, he talked about the bombing of one of the cities there. Yeah. I can't quite remember the name, but he said from where they lived, they could see the glow in the sky of the city burning and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the but, name will probably come to me. Eventually. But he also said that where he was from, that his family owned the place for 400 years that it was a rural area and it well, was in that, but it the was, actual house was 450 years old yes and that was his was it freiburg or no i'm just looking at the map right my now my dad's from freiburg okay here's the map here on the screen i don't know if you can see it you can just tell me where to go but here's freiburg over here i don't I, see any map i'm sorry oh you what? can't see it on your screen no i don't see anything here except me okay Okay. okay. Go down south, further south. Then. Okay. Where are we? Oh, this is Switzerland. Oh, yeah. Go. Uh, Here's Stuttgart here, but the, I don't want to get off track here. Here's Stuttgart. Yeah, no, it's, uh, okay, I have to go south, 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 south. Yeah, this is the border down here. So this is, so is this the area you're talking about, uh, Wolfgang? And I, I, I know don't you, see any map. No. I, I was born right across from Strasbourg. Across the river from Strasbourg, France. Okay. Right, right oh, here it is. Way up here near Offenburg. Okay. Near Ischenheim. I don't know if you can find Ischenheim on that map. I was born in Ischenheim. Okay. I see Friesenheim. Friesenheim is close, yeah. I'm okay. a little oh, now south. I see Lahr right here. I see Lahr. Lahr's there, yeah. It's just, just outside of Lahr is Ischenheim. Okay. Oh, I see it now. It's south of there. Okay. Ettenheim? Ettenheim? Or is that Ischenheim? Okay, well, we got the we got the right area. There's the Rhine River there. Okay, so you're saying that something's going on there? White yeah. wine country. Well, yeah, what happened when, um, in 1963, we went back. Now, consider that was eight years after we had landed in Canada. My dad, working three jobs, managed to take our whole family over there, me and my two little sisters. And, and Germany still had... A border. It was still, and you had a border in France and all. We went to Strasbourg and I remember we had to show our papers and all that kind of stuff. Um, because my, my dad's sister was married to a French colonel in the French army. She actually worked for Christian Dior as a designer uh, mm. in France. Wow. So <laughs> that's another whole experience I can tell you about. Um, at any rate, in 69, when I went back, the borders were open. So the difference from 63 when I was 14 years old to 69 when I was 19 and I saw it with the open borders was like night and day. In 63, in Germany, you could eat off the streets. In 69, you couldn't do it anymore. Oh. It was over. Those days were over. And my cousin told me, he says, he looked at me straight in the face. And this is this his quote. He says, since the Turks got here, it's been dirty everywhere. That's <laughs> yeah. what he told me. It's been dirty everywhere. They would piss in the alleys. They would crap on, like people from places that weren't Germans. And here, here's the thing that gets me. We've been sold this notion that Europe wasn't diverse enough. Now, just think about this. <laughs> you had a border at every country, and every country had its own food, its own language, its own religion, its own uh, uh, 
diverse culture, its own food, its own everything. And we were told it's not diverse enough. We have to open the borders to create more diversity. How insane are we to accept that notion that the most diverse, the most diverse continent, Europe, was not diverse enough? Wow. Oh, and by the way, on that, that how, how can people buy that crap <laughs> if they're not totally indoctrinated? MK Ultra, all of it. And then there's people like Bill Maher who talks to Roseanne Barr and goes, MK Ultra, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Coach Schwab, who's he? <laughs> yeah, he's an idiot. I don't, I can't stand that guy. What, what, what you gonna, what were you going to say, John? I was going to say about the map. See yeah. Where Stuttgart is? Yes. Right? To the left and a little bit up, it says Fortsheim. Yes. That's the place that Ernst watched Ernie at night one day. He's in between. He lived between uh, Fortsheim and Bad Wildbach. Okay. So down in, somewhere in there, some little little place. His okay. little uh, family plot. But it was in between those two uh, areas. Okay. Good? Yes. Um. Did you have a hard time getting information about the war from your mom and dad? From my mom? I'll tell you about my mom. Yeah. I, I had a hard time getting information from her. As a matter of fact, when my father was trying to teach me and my uh, younger sister German, my mother wouldn't help. You know, she said, no, we don't need German here. We live in Canada now. Uh, it's useless. Forget it. You know, so I, we get wouldn't get anything from her. But my father, he had no problem talking about the war, actually. It's funny, I hear all these stories about people, oh, yeah, the, my my father, or and this goes for a lot of, not just World War II, but a lot of other wars, and they just don't want to talk about it because they were, that's funny, my father was completely different. My father didn't mind talking about it. He was, uh, like I said, he was on the Eastern Front for the last three years of the war, went through three sets of friends, and went through the uh, other losses uh, camps. Do you remember that story, uh, Wolfgang? About, uh, uh, that's a book, right? Other losses. Yeah, I, yeah. And you know, anyway, my, my he, dad was on the Russian front as well. Um, he actually was captured. He had to cut a guy's throat to escape. Well, <laughs> him and well, a, him and a buddy. Yeah, my father was up north in the northern front, and at the end of the war, the eastern and western fronts were eight kilometers apart. And therefore, by accident, he actually got captured by the Americans rather than the Russians. Oh, wow. So, um, what happened yeah. to him after he was captured? What'd they do? Okay, so they, so he's captured and he's sitting there at some crossroads near where his headquarters was. Him and a bunch of the other prisoners sitting there. And while they're sitting there, the American GIs are standing there and a bunch of refugees are going by and and they stole the bicycle from every refugee that had a bicycle. They stole them all. And they put them all in a pile. And after they had about 20 of them, they burned them. So I don't know what that was all about. But anyway, so eventually they, they got up and they started marching away. And they marched along until they got to uh, the prison camp where they were going to go. And it was uh, off the Baltic Sea. It was a little uh, peninsula sticking out of the Baltic Sea. I don't know exactly where it was, but anyways, this little peninsula. And he said, when they got there, he doesn't know. He said there's about 
he guessed about three or 4,000 other prisoners in there. Like they had wired off the peninsula and they had uh, put all these prisoners on the peninsula. And when they put them there, the, uh, they were told by the Americans that see where all these various groups of tents are and, you know, people sitting together. You go join one of those. And if you wander away from one of those, we shoot you. We don't ask questions. We don't ask you what, what you want, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Just we shoot you. So stay there. So he went there. He said about three or 4,000 other men there. And from the day he got there, for two weeks, they got nothing. No food, no water, no medicine, zero, absolutely nothing at all. And the only way they survived it was, well, when it really rained, they would drink from puddles. And some of the puddles, of course, were muddy, but they didn't matter. You got to have, have water. Right? Yeah, that's disgusting. And, and they also said, okay, uh, they, way up at the tip of the peninsula was an abandoned farm. And somebody snuck up there once and found out there's some cow corn left. And so they uh, took lots at night and men would uh, go out and they would collect as much cow corn as they would carry and come back. And with the water from the puddles and stuff, they would kind of make up a soup that they could eat once in a while. And that was that. Wow. And the Americans would come in and check you over. There's anything you, that you had they wanted, they would just steal it off you. And if you didn't want to give it up, they would beat you into unconsciousness until they could steal it from you. Wow. So they did that. And then they, uh, what was the other? Oh, it's no yeah. wonder they didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well. Maybe this is the peninsula here, Heel, Heeligan, Holland. Maybe this yeah, is it. Might be for all I know. Yeah. Could be. So anyway, he said, uh, so they were, uh, he said they starved them, and then after they stopped starving them, then that was after two weeks, then they started bringing things in. And for another month or so after that, what they would get is a tin of jam, probably about four inches in diameter, about an inch deep, and uh, a round bread, again, about maybe 12 inches in diameter and about two inches thick, twice a day for 16 men. So that was uh, what they got. And eventually, against international law, he was finally traded to the British or given to the British for who knows why. <laughs> but anyway, they did that. And you're not supposed to do that according to international law. You're not allowed to give prisoners you take to somebody else. You either keep them or you release them. Right? No so training. that was it. So then uh, the British weren't as bad as the Americans, you know. When they came into the camp, they would actually come in an armored car. And if they, they wanted something, they come in an armored car and they get everybody around. They say, okay, if you have anything, like watches, whatever, and you want to trade them, come here and we will trade. So they didn't just go beat up everybody and steal everything you had. So that was that was much better. What, 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 about, your, what about your parents, Wolfgang? Did they talk? Uh, People don't uh, talk about what happened after the war very much, the occupation of the Allies, because the winners, to the winners, go the spoils. Sure. And some of the Allies that they hooked up with are these very greasy individuals from certain parts of the planet that have absolutely no respect for human life, human dignity, uh, what the needs of a, what uh, women are for. 
uh, how they are to be abused and used. Um, there, there were some very nightmare type stories that my mom would tell me about specific groups of individuals uh, in their village, how they mutilated women and stuff and did things. And uh, uh, one of the things I could tell is kind of a more milder story, but uh, at one point, you know, different allies occupied different parts of Germany. And at one point, I guess the French were the head of the Lar area where my parents were living. Yeah. And they had their allies, like the Moroccans, the Algerians, and all those northern African countries that were allied with the French. Their troops were there. And they were allowed to go into every house whenever they wanted to, take food or eat food or demand that some, somebody cooks them something. And that's what they did. That's what they did. Jeez. And my dad was with my mom one time at their farm. And uh, it was a Sunday. And apparently five or six of these... Um, French troops with a couple of their buddies, whatever, there's five or six of them, they descended upon the farm. And because um, uh, my grandparents had rabbits, um, they came, burst into the house and demanded that my grandmother cook them lapin. You had to cook some lapin. So my dad was there with my, uh, with my mom's brother, I guess. And the two of them went out into the barn and they got one of the barn cats, and they butchered it. Oh, right. <laughs> he had some the shot instead of Le Pen. And they, they cooked him <laughs> the barn cat. Nice. And, and apparently, the, the guys were sitting around the table. It was really good. They were going, ah, oh, c'est le meilleur. It's the best. It's the best. They've ever had. Yeah, so many, so, so many awful war stories. Jeez. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. And we're not told because we're the good guys, right? Oh, it's just terrible. Yes, it, it, it is crazy. You know, I, I got to the point in Canada, I got so tired, and, and you're gonna, you could probably attest to this. I, I don't know if you've gone through the same. Trying to explain my name to people back then, like, forget it. People didn't even try to understand how to say it, uh, Jurgen. So what happened with me was... I started to see a couple of John Wayne movies and all the bad Germans were called Jerry. So I've got a whole generation of people call me Jerry because I just got fed up. <laughs> I think I think John I is the same similar. way. You're the same way, aren't you, John? Jerry? Yeah, pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> but can, we well, definitely have something in common. Even our ages, I'm 73. Yeah, you guys are like long lost brothers. But no, <laughs> I want to, I know what, because um, Wolfgang, I did three shows with John about his experience with Ernst Sundel. So I'm really curious if you if you looked into Ernst and any of his materials and and did Ernst in your opinion help you as a German Canadian or did he cause you grief because Ernst was the most famous German national in Canada for a long time. No, he helped me because finally there was a German who was standing up and speaking some of the truth that we know. Yeah, that goes beyond the smoke and mirrors of the mainstream media lies that we've been fed our entire life. Yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all lies. Everything. It's insane. He was definitely a revelation to me. He was. He was a revelation to all of us who understood the truth. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's why he's creamed because he's the the truth. I mean, I you know I had a uh, I had a news uh, program when when I. You know, against the grain, news you're not supposed to know. I built that show up. It was a radio show uh, mm -hmm. at Cornwall through the DNC uh, uh, network. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to work every Friday. I had a weekly show. I was building it up. I had like 30,000 followers at one point. And, and of course, I had to move from, from Eastern Ontario, from south of Ottawa, from our 50-acre ranch because I was forced out by the Green Energy and Economy Act. That's a whole other story I need to talk to you about. Uh-huh. You remind me, make a note because that is a story that every Canadian needs to know, especially Albertans now and everyone else who thinks this Build Back Better or green energy is all that, that good stuff yeah. because they screwed me on my 50 acres and you need to hear why wow. at some point. At some point. Uh, but uh, anyways, yeah, and, and coming out here, let me tell you something real quick. Medicine Hat, is one of the best places to live still in the country because we got people that think straight here. Yeah, I've been to Medicine Hat. I love I've been, it here. I've been to I Medicine Hat. So you, so, so do you, so you rallied, you rallied around the ideas of Ernst Zundel. But, 100%. And what do you think of his story overall? That I uh, think his story is, is a story that needs to be heard by all, by everybody. And yeah. that needs to be understood and seen through the lens of someone that isn't misguided through the lies, that understands where it's coming from. And you have to know, just look around. You're not allowed to make fun of the people that rule you. And who are you not allowed to make fun of? The people that rule you. Yeah. And who okay. is that? You know, I had, I had, let me tell you something. I had, when I was 14 years old, like I said, I, I, did, I became a stand-up comedian. I had a show one time at this, this club. My dad took me to a, a club. Uh, you're supposed to be 21 to get in. I was 14. I got to perform for 20 minutes or something. And it was great. Everybody laughed, had a good time. He took me on a, uh, there was a German uh, uh, party. He had this, uh, the German club in Ottawa. It was called KG Teutonia. Him him and a friend of his formed this club and brought German traditions and, and had parties uh, behind Parliament Hill, Major Hills Park. Uh, the Teutonia club would have, uh, bring in German bands and stuff like that and cook bratwurst and try to bring German culture in to uh, uh, Canada. And I did this stand-up routine and I, you know, I had a lot of German jokes in my stand-up routine because I think if you can't laugh at yourself, then you're really screwed, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So I had a whole bunch of German jokes, and I brought it to this thing that he had with all the German people, and boy, did I bomb. He pulled me off the freaking stage, and he said, son, what are you doing? I took all the Polish jokes, and I made them German jokes, and they could not laugh at themselves one bit. It was embarrassing. I was kind of like trying to fight what was going on, the fact that we were all supposed to shut the hell up. Mm. And I was screaming because I'd been beat up all by myself. So I was screaming inside to get shit out. Yeah, wow. Right? So here I am trying to get shit out. Stop being closed-minded. Learn to laugh at yourself. No, they, they couldn't do that. Hold me off stage. They couldn't, couldn't make fun of you. You couldn't. So just look at it. From the other side, you can't make fun of a certain group of people unless you're in that group of people. Interesting. It reminds me back, I think it was in the 80s, there was a uh, a new sitcom brought out on television. I forget which network had it. And it was called Keep the Faith. And it was a sitcom based on Orthodox Jews. That lasted two weeks. <laughs> and then it was pulled. I think it was two weeks, two or three. Really? And that was it. It was gone. So who can you not make fun of? Even even by the TVs. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. You know, when I was in high school, uh, there was a new high school built. 
Um, should I say the name? Sure. Okay, it was Hillcrest High School built in 1961. It was in the uh, south end of uh, of Ottawa, right behind Alta Vista, which was a very, very wealthy area of Ottawa. Okay. On the other side of the wealthy area, it was sort of middle class. And then outside of that, there there are sort of some new subdivisions sprinkled around, kind of where, where my mom and dad bought. We bought a house for $14,500 with a mortgage of $125 for 25 years, and then it was paid off. Wow. Anyways, yeah, it was 125 bucks a month for 25 back, years. Back in the good old days. Back in the good old days, $14,500, a three-bedroom bungalow, about 1,200 square feet in the south end of Ottawa. Anyways, it was a brand new area. So when I went to this high school, guess what? In Alta Vista, in that very wealthy part, there was the sons and daughters of all the bureaucrats, all the politicians, and a lot of the wealthy Jewish people in the city of Ottawa, the people that owned the downtown restaurants and the people that owned the theaters and had all the, you know, had a lot of influence. There was a lot of influence in that area. It was probably the second or third wealthiest area of Ottawa at the time, other than Rockcliffe Park and maybe another area or two. So... At any rate, long story short, as a 12-year-old kid entering high school, grade nine, because they bumped me up early once I started learning English and they realized I'd already been in school a few years. I was 12 years old when I entered grade nine in, in, at Hillcrest High School, and it, was, it had been a year old, that school. And a lot of the girls were from Alta Vista, but their parents were Jewish. Well, guess what happened? Their parents would not allow them to see me or talk to me. If I showed an interest in a girl and she showed an interest in me, it was almost like a complete taboo. You're not allowed to talk to that boy whatsoever. Now, she didn't, have anything, she didn't have anything to do with the war. I didn't have anything to do with the war. I didn't care she was Jewish. She didn't care that I came from Germany because at this point I was speaking English I'd already been here a few years. I was starting to learn what was going on. And I was very, very gentlemanly because I had to be, especially to the girls. Yeah. Right? right. But no, no, there's, there's a whole section of society that said, can't have that. No, sir. You're not going near my girl. Any parties on that? If I showed up, man, I was kicked out. I couldn't show up. Yeah. Uh, right that, that right into that movie Fiddler on the Roof, if you've ever seen that. Yeah, I saw it a long time yeah. ago. So uh, they had enough trouble with uh, the Jews in it amongst themselves not doing what they're supposed to do, but when the one girl falls in love with the Russian, that's it. It's over. Definitely, Damn. you're not going to see that. You, then comes the, the claws come out, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's basically the way they are. Actually. It was sad. It was really sad. I, I And at the time, of course, I couldn't understand it. I really did, couldn't understand it. Did, and, and, yeah. Well, here's... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask, what, what's your experience with other Germans? Because uh, one thing John said to me is the most brainwashed group of all when it came to uh, Zundel uh, preaching his message was the Germans. The Germans here, they just wouldn't hear it. So actually, is that is that right, John? Do I have that right? They're the hardest people to to reach. The majority were Germans. Yeah. Germans in general are hard to reach, especially over in the old country. Mm -hmm. Here, 
yeah, it was hard, but he, he actually got uh, su support here, things like that. But it was, in fact, yes, it was very difficult. And uh, it didn't take much. Here's the example, right? When he first started off doing these things and first got in, into, uh, into the media, and it's just like in the, uh, in the 80s after the uh, big demonstration out in front of his house by those 2,000 uh, Jews. Then he got a lot of support because he was going against the anti-German propaganda and stuff like that. And then one day, one of the journalists, I forget what his name was, Offhand, but he he uh, wrote an article that saying that Hitler uh, that uh, Ernst had something to do with writing a book called "The Hitler We Loved and Why." And as soon as that one story came out, his German support evaporated. Wow! Except for maybe half a dozen people, but his higher support in the newspaper, stuff like that, you know, very large, just evaporated just because one person said that. I mean, that was really sad. I just couldn't believe that could happen. You know, how could you possibly, just because one guy writes them, and it wasn't true either, besides the, Another besides lie. the point, you know. Yeah, but that they could easily be so easily swayed because I, I assume by being conditioned for so long that way that uh, they have a hard time fighting that, uh, that kind of stuff. Anyway, it was really, uh, like I said, really sad, really disappointing. Well, well, my my question is: Did Ernst Zundel and his message get through to enough Germans to affect a decent change? Do you? What do you think, uh, Wolfgang? Did he rally enough Germans to really try and overcome this overwhelming guilt and no, shame? No, no. Or is yeah? I I don't think so either. Which no. Just shows no. The, the only people that that understand it is my generation of Germans. Mm -hmm. Probably Jurgen, myself, uh, and, and even even amongst those, even amongst those of us that let's say, let's just say have taken the red pill, um, that that know who Klaus Schwab is, that understand the Illuminati, that understand um, Bilderberg, that understand Davos, that understand the global takeover, um, all of that. Uh, mm -hmm. Those of us we're totally aware of that. Uh, be, based on the fact that my mom and dad told me truth that goes against the lies of my high school education, I totally go with whoever goes against them, yeah. basically most of the time, because they're right. There's no such thing as conspiracy theory, it's just search for truth. But they label it conspiracy theory, as we know, the CIA did that uh, to stop any notion of talking differently about the JFK assassination. You know, anybody who studies history knows that part of it. We, we <laughs> you know, the whole MK Ultra Mind uh, Project, the Germans did that after the First World War. They were starting that in the 20s. So I, there's so much that is right there for all to see. And what I really get a kick out of is watching people go from the extreme left to finally seeing the light and then going, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because it's so overwhelming. And I totally believe this year is going to be the, the year of revelation that's going to make people's heads spin. Well, okay. I've been thinking, I've been hoping for that for a long time with my site and what I do. And I... I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, John? Do you think people are breaking through? Be, um, I know you put out the Ernst Zundel videos, but I don't know if enough people watch them or have the uh, patience to go through a one or two hour interview. 
uh, of well, Ernst? I went through, um, <clears throat> back in the day, before I started my Bishoot channel, which was about four years ago, I had three channels on YouTube, which eventually got deleted. Right. right. But I had 10,000 followers on one and thousands of followers on the others and stuff. And I thought, man, we're really making headway here. And then they collapsed. They deleted yeah. it, right? And yeah. so I got on on uh, BitChute. So I've been cranking away at that. I've got about 1,000 videos up now. And i got about pretty close to 800,000 views, I think, up to this point. Mm -hmm. And really I did good. start on another channel. I started a, a, or another site. I started another channel, which I called Everything Ernst Ungle. And that was on uh, archive.org. Right. I picked that one because not only could you upload videos, but you could upload PDFs and audio files. So I could put up everything that I had over a period of time. So I started doing that. And there was another person on that uh, site who also had an Ernst Undo archive. Mm -hmm. Right. So I forget how, I think it was just around maybe just before COVID, maybe something like that. They, uh, I went to go and upload another another uh, video onto that channel, and it was geo-blocked. Okay. Right? It was, I, I could get in, I could look at it, but I couldn't interact with the site at all. I couldn't play anything, I couldn't upload anything, and the same with the other Ernst Zundel Archive channel. It was also geo-blocked, and it's done. So I figured, it must be making some sort of headway, or why would they go to that extent? All right. So we must be doing something. And from the comments that I read in a lot of my videos on the BitChute channel and so on, yeah, I've been, uh, I think we've been making headway amongst, as usual, probably more non-Germans than Germans, right? Hey, if you can change one person, it's a success, you're Yep, absolutely. I agree. Every one of us, is, uh, it's up to every one of us to at least change one person. If we can all change one person, the whole world will change. Yeah. As Ernst Zundel mm -hmm. said, it's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. No, 100%. 100%. I totally agree. Like, I agree with a lot of his stuff. A lot of it. Most of it, probably. But yeah, it's a uh, very disturbing times. And uh, there's so much going on. There's uh, such depth of everything. You know, you look at uh, Ukraine, you look at uh, what's happening now in uh, Gaza and all of that. But of yes. course, we all know it's a smokescreen. It's because they have to hide what's going to happen with the election of Donald Trump. Something serious is going to happen this year before that election happens, if we get that election. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, they want to stop him. Uh, they might even assassinate him. Who knows what the hell? They probably tried already a dozen times. Who knows? Right? Or they'll, or, or they'll stage an assassination. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. This is the fakeologist well, show, so they stage most of it to make it look like it happened. Um, yeah, I, it's a lot of political theater. I, th I think, uh, most of the politics is just, is just theater to keep us totally distracted just for what they're building, this biosecurity state that kind of 1984 then. Yeah, I think so. You're again, how, or, uh, yeah, Wolfgang, how much, uh, or how much did you pay attention to Ernst Zundel back in the day? I just trying to keep him in this idea into the conversation. Did you, um, did you follow it quite closely? Right. What did you think of his legacy? What did you think of how he was uh, handled at the end of his 
at the end, just at the end, the last twenty years, the way they uh, railroaded them back into Canada. Did, what did you think of all that? What were you thinking back then, when he was being held in Toronto in jail with uh, without any kind of trial? He was just the ministerial order just to keep him detained before they exported him to Germany. You know, it's kind of reminiscent of what's been happening to these Coots people, isn't it? Yeah. When you think of what they're they're doing, holding people illegally without without bail and all this kind of stuff. So it's been happening for a long time when you think about it, right? Right. But yeah, no, I um I didn't I didn't you know I was really happy that there was finally someone talking about it. Mm-hmm. That that's the bottom line for me. It was just that somebody else was talking about it and wasn't afraid to say it. And that's I think the biggest thing I got out of that, out of Ernst. The biggest thing I got out of the whole thing that he went through is that for me, moving forward, do not be afraid. Yeah. And that's exactly what I've been. And so since my show was shut down, Facebook and Twitter and everybody shut me down back in 2018, uh, I've made my efforts to get back through BitChute and these other channels. Like I, Those little videos I do on BitChute are just, I try to keep them to one minute because I understand how people are just, they're, yeah, they don't they, have time. Yeah, they only no got a minute. time for anything. Yeah. It's brutal. They're forced to work so damn hard, they got time for nothing. Yeah. I talk to my kids all the time, you know, the, 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 the boys that work out in the field here, we're talking, they go 15 days at a time, they're gone from their families. Nobody understands that. They just go to their home, turn on their furnace, and everybody's happy and nice and warm and cuddly after their eight hours in their government fucking job. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, you know, okay, how many children do you have? I've got two sons uh, by birth, and I've got another boy through his uh, parents basically kind of split up when he was young, and he kind of hung out at our place from the time he was very young. He's the best friend of my youngest son, so I call him my third son. And the three boys all came out west at the same time, and they ended up marrying three sisters. Oh, no kidding. Three girls out of a family of five girls, they married three of them. Oh, my God. And it is... It is absolutely the most mind-boggling experience of my life. (laughs) But it is wonderful because you have such tight family connections. We have a community within ourselves. There's grandchildren popping up all over the place. You know, uh, there's three here, three there, two over there. So it's just (laughs) this glorious, wonderful family thing. Two of the sisters just started a business here in Medicine Hat. They just opened a store. Uh, the three boys, my uh, youngest son, Justin, was the youngest supervisor in a coil rig out here when he moved out here uh, a few years back. He's working his way up to being a field soup, so he's a very important uh, clog in the machine out here and making sure that we all have heating. Uh, actually, all three of them are um, lead hands and uh, very experienced out in the field now. But let me tell you something. These are pioneer kids. Right on. Girls. And the boys. And there's only two sexes, by the way. Only two genders. <laughs> boys and girls. Nice. Okay? Men and women. Okay? Yeah. Anything else is a psychological problem. All right? Oh, yeah. So, uh, as we move from there, um, when you look at our family structure here, it's like we're forming a community. Justin just bought three acres. We're going to look at growing food. He's got chickens already. He's got about 10 chickens out there. 
Uh, he's not far from us. We have a uh, bug out plan. Uh, all of that kind of stuff is happening with us. And I am blessed in knowing that our entire family's on the same page. There is no split up. Oh, that's no, really good. No arguing. Not one of them says, oh, I got 12 of these. Where are you guys at? <laughs> so it, nobody's gotten any of it. And the babies that are coming up, if they insist on all of these before the baby gets an education, they're all getting homeschooled. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Yeah, that's great. Enough's enough. Fantastic. That's really I good. I started... I went last year my first time, and I should go again. I've kind of been putting it off because I haven't been feeling great lately. I haven't slept very much. But I uh, last year I went to my granddaughter's and grandson's public school in Irving, and I read to the kids for an hour because I decided it's time that someone straight went instead of someone wearing a fucking dress. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Nice. Great. nice. Love it. That's good stuff, Jerry. And, I, and I beseech every grandmother, grandfather, get to your fucking public school and read to the children mm-hmm. and tell them your stories. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the only, as far as the media is concerned, the only people who seem to want to be able to tell their stories are the so-called f- former camp inmates and stuff. They're, they're always uh, invited everywhere and they tell their stories. Well, we should tell our stories. There you exactly. should. Everybody should get out there, read the, you, you read guys are doing it right there, Wolfgang, you're doing it right. You read to the kids. You know what? By the time I was done that hour, I had the teacher smiling so much because my background in entertainment, I've been a stand-up comedian, I've been a rock and roll singer, I've been an actor, I've been able to speak to people. I've done speeches all over this country. I used to speak on Parliament Hill back in the day. I introduced Maxine Bernie to the public back in 2017 when he was running for leader of the, the Conservative Party. So I've, I've been around. There's a picture there floating around the Internet of me standing there holding one end of a sign that says stop Trudeau, a big, big, huge banner on Parliament Hill back in 2016 or 17. Wow. Did you so, know Did you know that Ernst Zundel ran for the Liberal Party? In, uh, well, he, did a, he, he did a speech in 1968 at the yeah. Liberal Party convention when Lester Pearson was stepping down. Yeah, he Lester ran against uh, Trudeau the first. Uh, Lester uh, the B. Pearson. Yeah, let's talk Lester. Lester was the guy, because Canada was having problems, that decided to say, you know what? We need to bring in the three wise men from Quebec to save Confederation. So he called up Pierre Trudeau, and he called up Marchand, and he called up Pelletier. All three of them, card-carrying. Well, I know Trudeau was a card-carrying communist. The other two were socialists to the Marxist degree. And they were the three wise men that were going to save Confederation. And guess what? Then Then they conjured up this plan. You know what? We're going to create a charter of freedom for Canadians because the freedom God gives isn't real. We're going to create real freedoms. So we're going to create the charter of limited freedoms and restricted. What is it? Charter rights. Of, right. right. Yeah. Charter of rights and freedoms. Restricted yeah. rights and limited freedoms. That's what I call it. 
Okay. And that, because that's what the USSR was doing back at the time. They ran their entire Soviet organization through charters and czars, if you remember your history, but most yeah, people don't. That's right. Right. They don't care. They don't listen to this stuff. The Charter of Limited Rights and Restricted Freedoms was written by communists for communists that eliminate the notion that you have individual rights because the notwithstanding clause can say our collective rights are more important than your individual rights to use your language. Right, right. And I'm going to use a notwithstanding clause to say, my province isn't bilingual, but the rest of you, you better learn French or you can't get a fucking job. Yeah, oh, I know. it's I, I, The double standard is insane. Um, did you, Wolfgang, did you know that um, Ernst was, his worldview was changed by Adrian Arcand? Have you heard of that, that person? I've heard the name, but I'm not familiar with him too much, no. Because he was, he was, um, he was. Uh, he's had the, a National Socialist Party that he ran. It, it, I don't think it got much traction, but he was quite an intellectual. And there's very little information on the internet about him. I'm sure maybe in traditional forms you might find something, but I looked into him only because Ernst went to him, and that's what turned his worldview upside down. Yeah. Well, basically, Archon was. Uh, he was actually in the uh, Canadian military. Mm-hmm. For a while, he was a captain, I think. He, I don't think he got all okay. the traction around the country because he was based in Quebec. Right. And yeah. uh, he spoke mostly French, and he was they were big on being Catholics. Yeah. And stuff. But uh, he had a very large following in Quebec. And when 1939 came around, and the war, the day the war started, him and many of his supporters, one of which was the mayor of Montreal at the time, were all arrested without charge and put in Canadian concentration camp till after the war was over. Yeah, he was sent to Petawawa, where there was an army barracks. I guess it's still there. And he was there for four or five years. That's that's interesting Canadian history. I learned Canadian history mostly about the Indians, and it's boring. It's the most boring history. If we got to learn about political prisoners and that kind of thing that were going on in Canada, that would have been far more interesting. So that's a story, Wolfgang, I don't know if you've heard about, but I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Sounds interesting, yeah. Adrian Archon. Someone has a website about him, and I sent that person a message, but I haven't heard back. But just really interesting stuff, I thought. You find something, send it to me, okay? I will, I will. I, I don't have much, and I wish, hopefully, whoever made the website, they actually did a translation of all his books into English and uh, I'll have to find the links to that well uh, yeah this has been pretty interesting Yeah. oh Greg Shantz in the chat says I purchased all four of Matt Eretz the Hidden History of Canada books do you know about Matt Eret, Wolfgang? no he's actually been on many many shows on the internet he's very he's a canadian historian i think he comes from the lyndon larouche point of view have you heard of lyndon larouche i've heard the name but not familiar with the philosophy or policies or anything yeah he's he's pretty interesting as well what about you john have you heard of lyndon larouche or matt a lot of interesting people yes same thing i've heard the name and stuff but i'm not that familiar with him and uh ern zundel's first wife whose last name was larouche was no relation. Yeah, no relation. Yeah, I know. I picked up on that. That that was interesting because it's not a very common last name. Yeah, we owe a lot to Ernst for what he does. He's kind of a trailblazer, I think, in the terms of 
globally stepping up to um, tyranny, the, the tyranny of the lies. Because the lies, the lies, I mean, just just think about it, how deep that is and how big that is. It's just on such a massive psychological scale for humanity. All of humanity is engulfed in it. It's swallowed up in it. Just like the air of entitlement is swallowed up in the bureaucracies of our federal public services now. You don't get services. Somebody explain this to me. We have probably some of the highest taxation rates on the planet. Yes. And those taxation rates are to pay for our services, yet when you require services, you still got to pay for them. Why is that? Good question. How did we get to that point where we've allowed the system to say, thanks for your tax dollars, now it's 75 bucks for your license? <laughs> yeah. That's a debt-based system. How does that happen? I'll tell you how that happens. Because you've allowed unions to say, this person sitting in this cubicle is worth 10 times more than Johnny at fucking Timmy's. We are worth more because we even get free tampons. We make more money and we get free tampons. And let me tell you something. Why? When I owned my stores, when we had our businesses, the worst people to deal with were the people who made the most money because they figured they deserved it for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> let me play a little bit of Adrian Arcon there so you can see who it is. This is, a, this is an interview he did in English, one of the very few ones. You came to the conclusion that fascism offered the best solution. Hold on a second. It's buffering your problems. Why was this? Well, one must first define what the word fascism means. The word fascism was used in Italy, Nazism in Germany, phalangism in Spain, Rexism in Belgium. It means nationalism, control of a nation by its nationals. In those years, I had studied mostly history. And I had discovered, with several others, that the First World War had been the beginning of a revolt against the high culture and civilization of the West. The unique result of the First World War had been to implant communism in Russia, the most uh, strategic place in the world because touching Europe, Near East, and Asia. And uh, it was visible that the Second World War was brewing in order order to uh, widen the scope of communism, spread it. And in fact, I still have the writings. I wrote that the Second World War was coming that it would smash down the empires of the Western world and spread communism much farther on both sides of the world. And it happened. But weren't there there other reasons apart from... uh... Okay, that's a little bit of Adrian Arcon. Let me play a little clip from Ernst Zundel. I actually put this on my FACOTube site three different times over the last few years, and I didn't even notice. So here's Ernst's prediction of the future and let me see what year this is this was 1996 
There we go. Has ever analyzed why the German nation that had more Nobel Prize winners and more famous researchers and scientists and was one of the best educated countries in Europe turn on the Jews? Why did these good Germans turn on the Jews who had more Jews living amongst them than even percentage wise living in the United States today? Why was that? Because they displayed the same voracious ethnocentrism, power grabbing, influence peddling, buying of politicians, dominating of the public airwaves and the, and the public media in Germany and so on, that they display in the United States. And I'm not much of a prophet, but that much I can say based on history. In the United States, mark my word, you will have Weimar conditions and you'll have solutions to the Weimar conditions. If you, if you look at East Germany, how quickly it collapsed, or the former Soviet Union, how quickly it collapsed with all its secret services, spy agencies, NKVD, and Stasis. It imploded so quickly, I have no idea. But there is no doubt in my mind, the United States is heading in the same direction. And there's only one difference. In the United States, there are enough guns out on the street, and enough lawlessness in the public, and a revolutionary spirit that founded that republic. The United States is armed to the teeth. They have a spirit of revolution in their blood. They are heroes. Anyway, that's from 1990. What do you think of that, guys? Unbelievable. Great. Isn't that something? Great. The uh, American Constitution is the only thing that has prevented us from becoming China West. Yeah, I think so. I, I would agree with that. In our proximity to the U.S. Yep. Right? The only thing that stopped Canada from falling right into the China lap. I would like to comment on your comment on uh, how the whole world is in the grip of this thing. And I think one of the main agents of that is Hollywood. 100%, right? yeah. Because they got their movies all over the world, and they even have a saying that some people maybe haven't heard, or if they have, they don't understand the import of it. Their slogan is, Planet Hollywood, and that's what they're doing. You know, getting trying to get everybody on their <clears throat> wavelength, right? So they will do as they wish. So the and subliminal they, messaging is wild, eh, Jurgen? I mean, and it's been going on for so long. And what what I remember back in the '60s, I remember when subliminal messaging was discovered, and there was a huge media uproar about the notion that you, as kids on a Saturday matinee, you'd go to a a movie and they would throw in these subliminal, like one one thing uh, in the film reel would would show a Coca Cola, and, and people would rush down to the thing and buy yeah. Coca Cola. Or they flash right? a hamburger in one of the frames, yeah, one of the 30, yeah. But I remember back then there was a huge uproar about it and to eliminate it, get rid of it. This is scary. This is creepy. And what happened? You never heard a thing about it. And then they took that subliminal messaging to a whole new level. They put it into every television show, not only in the commercials, they put it into everything. They put in product they placement. Kept, product and placement. They kept them tight-lipped and they to the point where they got specific products. Yeah. Right? Not just a soda, but a Coke. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Not just Canada Dry. You can't, not Canada Dry. No, no. Or the ginger ale. No, no. Coca-Cola. Yeah. Right? It's been brutal. And now it's in everywhere. It's in every script. And when I got into the movies, 
and it, it was just local stuff, which, which was fine. But I happened to get into a couple of international things. And it's really funny. I talked to this one guy getting a little off topic, this one Hungarian uh, movie producer who filmed a big movie in Ottawa. It was kind of this international Canadian-Hungarian thing. I asked him, I said, why are you filming this in Canada? He says, because it's the easiest place to get money for making movies. All right. Government grants. Yeah. 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 Do you think, do you ever think there would be, there could be an Ernst Zundel movie? I sure hope so. I'd love to be part of it. Well, well, I've been thinking about a script for a long time. Oh, you've thought about it? I've been thinking about a script, not just for Ernst Zundel, but for all Germans in relation to how we fit into the global society. That would be very good. Well, maybe you and I should work on at least a video of this. I've been wanting to reach out to Mel Gibson. (laughs) I'm serious. Yeah. I'm serious. I'm talking about a movie where you could show maybe a 17-year-old Saskatchewan farm boy and then my dad is a 17-year-old German farm boy being told that that other boy was mean and he's supposed to kill him. Wow. That's the movie I want to make for people to see that these are both 17-year-old boys and we're not to shoot at each other. We're to shoot upwards. Right. Not, not sideways. Not sideways, we shoot yeah. upwards. Yeah, John, maybe you should, uh, I think, John, you should do some some videos of, uh, of Wolfgang's stories. They're pretty, you guys, you, I think you guys have some collaboration uh, potential, you two. Fantastic. I think, I think potentially we should, yeah. Sure, why not? It would be of interest, absolutely. I'd, I'd like to see other interviews with other Germans of your, of your age because get these stories out and get them, get them My in. My friends have all died. There's got to be a few 70-year-old Germans left. I'm sure there are, but I don't know any. Yeah, yeah. I think we should reach out and just try and get uh, just sort of a, a German experience talk show. Uh, did, you know, did you know that America, the uh, largest population of immigrants is Germans in yes, America? One out sh- of five. For sure, and it, it was a big deal in World War II when they were basically told to go fight their brothers yeah that that was a major problem yeah for sure but i think it would be good if we we could uh, between all three of us maybe just get get some other germans that have at least their memories intact where they can start to recall some of this information and get it down at least digitally in video form or audio form before it's lost get it before we're all gone so uh, maybe Wolfgang, I can. Uh, I'll keep in touch with you by putting comments on your videos. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, you that sounds ex- great. Exchange. And maybe uh, what we can do is through this program, uh, our host can hook us up through email. Oh yeah, I'll copy you guys on each email. Okay. I I only I I do that if someone gives me permission. So I'll 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 expose your emails to each other and. Uh, Hey, we can do future collaborations. I wanted to see one of the no, things good. that I was telling John is I think, well, it's great to put up Ernst's videos. I think it really requires a little bit of editing in the sense that if you came on my show and just explained the video of the week, because when you just put everything up one sequentially with just a title, I think, I think it needs a lot of explanation. Like some of the videos I've been watching randomly, like the interviews with the different. Uh, Toronto newspaper reporters. I find them really full of revelations, little small, little small tidbits that are really fascinating. So, excellent. 
Maybe we should do that where we can just say, hey, here's the video of the week. This is where he talked about this because uh, I just found it fascinating. And I, my, my main thing with exposing the Ernst Zundel story to Canadians is it's hard to believe this happened in our country. It really is. And it's, it's, it's flushed down the memory hole. And the way they denied him citizenship in Canada, which is just unbelievable. He tried twice to get citizenship, and that's that was his ultimate downfall. That's how they could get rid of him. Where yeah. is he now? He passed away a few years ago. He did yeah. pass away. He died in 2017. He wasn't. I, I, I thought I heard that. I just wasn't too yeah. sure. I just yeah, okay, yeah. 2017. It's been that long already. Wow. Yeah. Yep, it has. Wow. I'm kind of work, working on a little bit of a documentary about him. And I'm also working on a documentary about uh, Robert Forrestan. That would be great. Foremost revisionist at one time. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Interesting. Nothing, uh, I don't think anything has been done on him, at least in the English-speaking sphere. But uh, he deserves more, so I think I'm going to do something about that. Well, he kind of died in obscurity, really, over in Germany. I don't, how, how, how famous was he in Germany, in his area? Do you figure how many oh, people? Ernst? Oh, he's well. He was well known. He's well known all over Germany, I think. So, does that mean they did some kind of documentary, or somebody over there told his story in Need Germany? A watch break. I'll be right yeah, back. go ahead. Did someone do something in Germany about the story? If anybody would, I mean, people who uh, would be doing like a uh, honest or pro Zundel documentary or something like that. You couldn't possibly do that over there. Well, yeah. you could do it, but it wouldn't go anywhere because it would be squashed. It would be squashed, yeah. yeah. Do you it know this? Depending on what you said, it might even be illegal. One of his last videos that I saw, I don't know if it was on your channel or somewhere else, was there was a, a woman named Lady Somebody that went to see him at his farmhouse and did a tour of his farmhouse in the last years after he came out of Germany, or she met him in the at the German jails gates when he was released do you know this woman lady brebu for something well this is the one oh i think it is i thought her name was uh, michelle renouf yeah that was it michelle renouf yeah she was very well known to him they knew each other for quite a while she's quite a person she was an actress and other things and she married high up mm -hmm. became a lady right really good looking very smart and she's done a lot of uh videos and things on uh, revisionism and related topics and so on. She just, uh, was it last year or the year before, she was in Dresden in Germany and she did an impromptu stand-up in front of the crowd out there and talking about uh, the real story of Dresden and how it's led to all these third world migrants coming into the country and all this stuff. And she got great ovations about all her talking and it was so good that she got arrested for it. Eventually, they dropped the charges and ejected her from the country. But Maybe this is what I saw. Have you seen this one? An opening is special. <laughs> this is uh, a tribute to his life by uh, Lady Michelle Renouf. Do you have this in your... Uh, Collection. What does the name of it say? Out and 
It says uh, out and unbowed. And unbowed. Unbowed. No, I'm not sure if I have that one or not. I know I have some by her. I'm not sure if I have that one. I might have. I'll go check my uh, renew file and see if that's the one. March 1st, 2010. Offhand, as I'm looking at it, it's not ringing a bell. Uh, on arrival at Mannheim Prison okay. to witness the but release maybe. of Prisoner of Conscience. Could very well be if it's about I his release from Mannheim and stuff. Yeah. I just might have it. I just might have it. I'll check it. And uh, if I do have it, uh, would you like me to put it up so that put it the in the file so that you can download it? Yeah, for sure. There to find out okay. what were his release conditions. I don't Any know. other videos I have about his release or anything? Do you want them as well? Introduces me to this lady, oh, for sure, yeah. Okay, I can do that. Recognizing my name, she is overheard yeah, I was just curious. She seemed to pick up the story, I guess, late in his life. Several of my letters to Ernst were held back from him as were about 1,700 other mail items for two years. She had taken steps to rectify this illegal interference. That's quite a thing. journalist asked me whether I am here... Quite a story a here. This is uh, WV Radio Man's uh, platform here. Whom I had visited. Yeah, he's got a massive amount of videos. What does he do? What is, what is, what is his theme on his channel? Uh, basically revisionism, Ernst Ungel, uh, and all kinds of other things on our wavelength, basically. Have you, have you ever spoken to him? No, I haven't. What's it called? The VR Radio Man. Yes, v WV Radio Man. It's another Bitchu okay. channel. And uh, it's quite interesting. This is a woman named Lady Michelle Renouf, and she did a tribute to uh, Zundel as he was released. Okay. So I'll uh, I'll check that one out as well. Maybe I'll uh, watch. I think I've watched it already. I actually reached out to her a couple of years ago when I was sort of interested in the topic, but she was too busy. She said at the time. So what was what was really interesting back in 1983? Mm -hmm. I have the video up uh, called Ernst Zundel introduces Triumph of the Will. Okay. Right? And so I, I was in the office at the time when he had phoned Lainey Riefenstahl. Okay. And he was talking to her about these things, and he asked permission to do that. And she gave him permission to do that. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was, uh, like I said, he was always an honest man. He always went straight to the source and always did everything above board. And... Um, yeah. Maybe that was part of his downfall. Maybe he's too honest. Who knows? Yeah, that. Well, he yep. didn't. He didn't want to make any extra excuse for the system to take him down. So he he went by the book, and then and they just dealt with him. The, dealt with a, an honest man in a way that uh, was dishonorable, really. Oh yeah, big so, time. But that's power politics for you. The Bar Association is one of the biggest deceptions of the Canadian public, of any public in Western society, the Bar Association. Let me tell you a little story about the Bar Association and the legal system. Okay. It's worse, it's worse uh, in Canada than everywhere else? It's really bad here. I had a situation, let me tell you, this is a very brief story, but uh, but it's one of my historical things that make me who I am. Yeah. Back in the day, back, I, I guess our store was early. I, we had sold a uh, pool table to a person, 
And he was a very, very angry sort of man. He had been divorced and all that. Anyways, long story short, it broke down. He took us to court and he expected us to replace the slate on his pool table because his slate was broken. I went to my lawyer and I said, listen, this guy's coming after us. And I, I really, you know, always in the court systems, you lose all the time because you're the merchant and the merchant has money, but the poor customer is always getting screwed. Well, no, right. sometimes the customer is not right. Sometimes a customer is a bad person and he lied, right? Yes, yes. We're a reputable company that's fixed these kinds of things before when it's true, right? We do these things. And at, at any rate, I asked my lawyer, I said, listen, I said, I need your help. This guy, this and that. And he said, you're, you're, listen, no problem. You can do this yourself. You, you do this, this and this. And I said, really? Are you sure? He says, oh yeah, just do this. And I forget all the specifics. I mean, we're talking back in the uh, late 80s. So, I go to court thinking that, okay, all I have to do is this, this, and this. Well, I go to court and guess who's against me? You had, you just, I, I mean, it absolutely blew my mind because at the time our prime minister was Joe Clark and his wife was Maureen McTeer. Right, and his right. wife was a lawyer working for the guy in Quebec that came after me in Ontario. Wow. So the lawyer my lawyer knew it was Maureen McTeer that was against him and he didn't want to go. So he told me I'd be okay. Well, guess what? Guess who lost? Well, they that's were, the bar, yeah, that's they, the bar association. They kiss each other's ass. And when we were fighting the, the language laws back East where I lived, when they were forcing us to put signs in certain languages and we said, no, we don't want to be forced all the legal games that were happening right up to the time we went to the Supreme Court. It was insider judges, prosecutors, having lunches together, dinners together, concocting any way possible to defeat us. Yeah, it's like a uh, prime example of all that kind of machinations going on is Ernst Zundel's preliminary Ernst. hearing. That's exactly why I said this, yeah. because it's yeah. not, it's the bar association. Yeah. It's the ugliest entity that, that has disguised itself as this aid to society to figure out justice. Yes, yes. It, it, they, they've, they've taken the place of sort of the common court with their... Let's make a deal. Yeah. yeah That's it's, what it's all about. Let's make a fucking deal. Yeah. So what happened I don't care if you killed that? somebody in four years, you're out. If you ate somebody on a Greyhound bus in four years, you can be on the street in Canada. Mm -hmm. But talk about Justin Trudeau, you'll be jailed with no fucking bail. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so anyway, during his preliminary <laughs> hearing, his lawyer, he got this uh, female lawyer, I'll even name her, Lauren Marshall, right? And she basically flubbed the whole case, just <laughs> ruined it. And so it went to trial. Later on, after it was all over, Ernst was walking downtown Toronto, went through this mall or something, and he bumped into her. And she said, oh, why don't we go have a coffee, talk, you know? So they did. They went and sat down. And she explained to him and admitted to him that the reason the whole court thing was screwed up is because she was approached and she was said that we want you to throw the case. And if you do, we'll, uh, there'll be a judgeship in your future. Yep. And, and she said, and I'm sitting across from you, Ernst, as Judge Lauren Marsh. So she admitted it. And yeah, there, there you go. go. There's a prime example of just what we were saying. It's everywhere. It's it's a blight on our entire society. It, there's no, 
Just look around. Do you think there's justice? No, it's all about deals. Especially it's all the left to get away with murder. Arkansas. Yeah, that's why I call it the legal system and not the justice system. That's right. Yeah. It's not even that legal. It's only legal based on the laws of the water. That's okay. right. Yeah. It's sure just, I think it's just for for resolving commercial disputes, really. It's not really about justice and no and common law. I think those are two different things. There's no justice. When they robbed our store, there's 19 people were proven to rob our store. 19 guys got caught. I went to court for about a year and a half when they caught two here, two here, another three there, four there. 19 people robbed my store over the course of about 12 hours while I was in Niagara Falls with some German relatives that came that wanted to see Niagara Falls. Wow. Those people robbed the store. It turns out that the 17-year-old kid that I had hired had masterminded the robbery. He was at a party. Some girl whose parents had gone for the weekend, she was having a party like we all did when we were teenagers. We invite all our friends over when the parents are gone. Anyways, he was at this party and he said, oh, my boss is gone after they got drunk and snorted up some cocaine, apparently. He took five friends into a car and they broke into my office window, went into the front part of the store and stole all the expensive two-piece cues, all the darts that I had that were worth three, four, five hundred dollars, put them in the trunk of the car and drove back to the party and started to sell the stuff to the kids at the party. Wow. Well, the girl that was in the house that said, no, you can't do this here. He said, okay, packed it up. They went to another party on the Quebec side and said, hey, guess what? My boss's office window is still open. So another five or six guys stole a cube van. They went and they stole the water skis. They got the wetsuits. They got all the bigger stuff that was bigger than darts and cues. So they got a lot of clothes. Uh, they got a lot of water skis, that's for sure. They got small poker tables, things like that, that they could get into the cube van that I had in my 3,000-square-foot store. So they did that. And then they went to another party and told them there was still more stuff to get. And then another crew went back and stole whatever was left other than the big pool tables that they couldn't take out of the store. So three waves broke into the store. Three waves stole merchandise. Two weeks later... Two guys come walking in the store with a pair of water skis that I couldn't sell for the life of me. I had them in stock for five years. I couldn't give the damn things away. They come in and say, can we trade this for a wetsuit and look around and see there's nothing in the store? And I grabbed them both by the throat. I threw them in my office, called the cops. The cops made them walk backwards, find out where they got the skis, etc., etc. They caught 19 people. Everyone was found guilty. Not a single one had to pay me back. We lost a family business and all the merchandise was gone and we had to shut the doors. Wow. Thank you very much for 30 years of putting in work to grow a business in the city of Ottawa. That, that on top of, so that's, that's one of my little experiences with the judicial system. Yeah, I right? can see it be better. One day when I went there and there was five guys on trial, including the 17-year-old little punk that I hired that worked for me, I paid him 13 bucks an hour to carry the toolboxes in 1993. That's pretty good money. Right? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. For back then, yeah. Right? To carry the toolboxes? To learn the trade? And we clean- were setting up billiard tables for international tournaments. And he cleaned you out. Turncoat. And he cleaned me out, that 17-year-old little puke. He destroyed the entire business. And here's the bottom line. 
That day when I went to the five and he was one of the five that was arrested, I go into the courthouse with the prosecutor wearing my suit. I was totally down and depressed thinking, I'm this system just sucks, mm-hmm. right? I go walking down there and there's the wives and girlfriends of those five guys that were that were on trial that day. Yeah. And they're all pointing at me and saying, there's the fucker that wants to arrest my guy. Wow. I'm the bad guy. I looked at the prosecutor and I was almost in tears. I said, can you tell me how a society has gotten to the point where these women can accept the fact that their lying, thieving fucking husbands is a good guy and me as the merchant is the bad guy? How does that happen? I hired him. That's crazy. Crazy, Wolfgang. That's that's nuts. Yeah, I can see why you'd be bitter. That's the judicial system. Another story is the healthcare system when my wife was poisoned in the tainted blood scandal. That is a story every Canadian needs to know because at the start of this pandemic, you know what my wife said to me? She said, they tried to kill me in the 80s. I'm not giving them the chance to do it again. I'm not believing in what they say. Yeah, I, I remember that. That that was the end of the Red Cross handling the blood, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Now we have the a new... Clinton's making, the Clintons making a deal with Paul Martin and Brian Mulroney. And they had a pharmaceutical company here in Canada saying, oh my God, after they were caught, saying, yeah. oh my God, I know I should have sent that blood to Africa. Wow. The dirty, stinking... These people have no heart. They're demons. They're anti-human, that's for sure. Anti-human. All right, well, this has been a... I think we could do a whole show on all the problems that Wolfgang has had. He, you, you've got a lot of stuff. Is is all this on your channel, on your BitChute channel, a lot of these discussions? Uh, a lot of it is. Some of it isn't. Some of it I keep personal. So how, off, how often do you do a rant these days on your channel? I feel up to it. Right now, my main purpose is uh, my grandchildren and that school thing, the reading. Uh, number two, it's uh, spreading beauty throughout the world. Uh, I started learning uh, landscape art. And I've started to paint a lot of beautiful paintings. And when we started this, I started making some coasters as well, some, um, you know, coasters for drinks and that. And what we did a couple of years ago when we first started is I took about the address of 20 of people, 20 people that I had in my address book, and I sent them for Christmas. I sent them a set of coasters that matched their interior design. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. free. And so all these 20 people got smiles of presents they weren't expecting. We just sent them a my wife and I, which is, okay, this is what we need to do and what we need to focus on uh-huh. is beauty, beauty and love and, and, and real art, not art that they're selling us, this garbage, this dirt, the stuff that they, they, they put up structures that, that look like the destruction of, of earth. And they say, this is art. Or oh yeah, some, that's modern they art. Yeah. art. They hang a rabbit from a tree and say, this is art. No, no, no. We need to get back to spreading the beauty, the love of art beautiful stuff needs to be shared because in my mind those 20 people had a smile on their face and they were able to share that smile with someone else when they told the story of how they got this in the mail and every and now what's happened now every once in a while we'll get something as a surprise in the mail nice now imagine imagine if we all did that it's funny that Ernst was an artist too like you I, it, hey, listen, the worst part of this is I'm used to being a singer. I know when the song's over, and I'm used to being an actor. I know when the scene is over. I don't know when my painting's finished. And I will add a tree, and my wife will say, that painting looked great until you put that tree in there. 
nice, nice, nice. Oh, but but it's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And it's a thing of beauty. And when people come over and they see the five or six paintings I've done since the last time they were here, they just, everybody smiles. And that's what it's all about. It's about beauty, real beauty, and love of beauty, and love of things that are nice, because the bad people can't handle when we do that. They really can't handle it. We yeah, need to more. We need, your, we need more pats on the back, sorry, folks, but we do. Yeah. We are so quick to give somebody shit when they do something wrong, but nobody pats anybody on the back anymore when they did something right. Mm -hmm. I it. agree. Yeah. For your information, Ernst was, was the most prolific artist in Canadian history. He sold over 700 paintings. 700, wow. wow. Good for him. Wow, that's awesome. And what, I Are remember they, one, of, one of his interviews, he said, well, now that I'm a notorious guy, I wonder how many of the Jewish customers who bought my paintings have uh, been throwing darts at them or throwing, <laughs> getting rid of them. Are, they, uh, are, these, are these paintings anywhere where we can see them online? Um, uh, you'd have to look. I don't know. I'll, if look, it, I'll look and see. So no one's, no one's curated them. Yeah, try to look uh, Ernst Zundel's paintings and see what comes up. I might have some videos or something of some of them. I'll dig around in my archives and see cool. what I can find. Very cool. All right, gents. Well, this was a very interesting conversation. I thought there might be some uh, interest between two long-lost Germans. So it's... Uh, Great to meet you, Jürgen. Yeah. Great to meet I, you, Jürgen. I, I, <laughs> it's like you're talking to yourself almost. But uh, awesome. yeah, this was a good chat. And we'll have to do it again sometime. We'll have to see if there are other Germans as well. They want to just relate their experience. Uh, I don't think it, you've had a pretty interesting life, Wolfgang. That's for sure. So I, I think you could write a book before before you forget it all. I'm working on one right now. It's called uh, Canada's Role in the Nation of Quebec. Interesting. <laughs> well, so I mean, our history. You you guys don't know half of. Uh, we need another show on the history of Canada. Yeah. Well, I think I think you know a lot of the, a lot of the whole. Distraction with Hitler and World War Two was to sort of disguise or hide National Socialism, but I think it's sort of alive in Quebec. I think that's what they were trying to. Rev I mean, they call their their Parliament the National Assembly. So they're allowed, they're allowed to be nationalistic. Trudeau set that up. Exactly. Do you think Trudeau, do you think Trudeau and uh, Rene Levesque were enemies? No, no, I know they set the whole thing up. They were Fabian. They were Fabian socialists. Why? Why do you think Lapointe was murdered during the October crisis? Right. Why was Lapointe murdered? They those people didn't murder anybody. Mm -hmm. They didn't murder anybody. They blew up mailboxes. Right. And they did stuff like that, but they didn't murder anybody. They right. murdered Pierre Laporte because he was going to expose Pierre Trudeau as the pedophile that he was. Wow. That's okay. why he was murdered. Interesting. That That's a fact, Jack. Take it to the bank. Wow. I don't care what anybody says. Anybody can say, well, no, it was all part of the, the October crisis, blah, blah, blah. No. He was going to expose Trudeau for what he really was. Wow. And we could have many conversations about the Trudeaus having lived in Ottawa, done business in Ottawa. I know people who work with them. We could have a lot of talks about that. We could also talk about Tamara Leach because in 2017, I did a speech on the back of a pickup truck here in Medicine Hat that went viral within two hours, had 68,000 views within a week, had a million and a half, and it was filmed by Tamara Leach. Wow, interesting. Tamara Leach has had dinner at my house. Yeah, she's quite a woman. Interesting. 
Yes. Yeah, very it, interesting. Yes, it is. It's a small world, isn't it? Unless you have to paint it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll play your rap video at the end of the show. I think we did it last time, but it's pre it's pretty fun. So we'll right on. we'll play the show out with that. So at that, thanks Wolfgang for joining, and uh, thanks for having me. And thanks John for joining, and hopefully you guys can work together. And, and don't forget to share the emails. I will. Perfect. I'll send you copies with this show. So yeah, thanks everyone. We'll we'll play out this this old this old rapper. Right down Crazy Town. Right, it's actually take care. All right, take care, guys. Summer now essential, turning one against another. No more father, no more mother. Choices are obliterated, factories are eliminated, children going hungry, bankers making money. Stop it! We got to keep connecting the youngest with the old, cause the oldest fought for freedoms that are never to be sold. Deceivers throw out wisdom that comes from who knows where. Up is down and down is up as long as they got good hair. And wolves are dressing up like sheep in upside down crazy town. Nothing's making sense at all in upside down crazy town. Good is bad and bad is good in upside down crazy town. Nothing's working as it should in upside down crazy town. We only have two genders, and climate always changes. But social engineers establish wider ranges. Pronouns are offensive, while truth is on defensive. Drag queens are progressive, conservatives oppressive. Since when? Exerting social pressure, but forcing certain measures. Look and see, mask or no, as we watch divisions grow. Black and white are made to fight. Who determines what is right? The truth is so elusive. Do people even care? It doesn't seem to matter as long as they got good hair. Wolves are dressing up like sheep in upside down crazy town. Nothing's making sense at all in upside down crazy town. Good is bad and bad is good in upside down crazy town. Nothing's working as it should in upside down crazy town crazy town. From Germany to Calgary and all around the globe As times they are a-changing, we have to be more bold The picture is unfolding as most just look away While others see what's coming, some gather as they pray Singing hallelujah For we must be relentless and comfort we will find When we hear the answers to ease our troubled minds We must not be so blinded by those with crooked smiles But look beyond the image, the fashion and the style Look towards what lies within, that matters if you dare Most people are oblivious as long as they got good hair as long as they look, it doesn't matter what you say. Fluoride stares and no one cares as they all gaze away. Illusions are created, it happens all the time. By liars and deceivers, sipping expensive wine. Fools are dressing up like sheep in upside down crazy town. Nothing's making sense at all in upside down crazy town. Good is bad and bad is good in upside down crazy town. Nothing's working as it should in upside down crazy town, crazy town, crazy town. From medicine hat to Italy, lockdowns are a tragedy. Experts claim to know the score, but money opens up their door. Therapeutics were denied and kids committing suicide. Phony stories circled round, dead people laying on the ground. Liar, liar, pants on fire. 
Now we must face adversity and battle to infinity. And wars are always hard to fight to establish what is right. Seek out the injustice that stares you in the face. Or you can say sayonara to the human race. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. The numbers, they were phony, and all the tests were fake, and lots of people really died with miserable heartache. We have to stop relying on those who are selected. Let the lion roar within you. Let those liars be rejected. Wolves are dressing up like sheep in upside-down crazy town. Nothing's making sense at all in upside-down crazy town. Good is bad and bad is good in upside-down crazy town. Nothing's working as it should in upside-down crazy town. Upside-down crazy town. Upside-down crazy town. Nothing's working as it should in 